welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. A solo mission tonight. Birds are out on the um, porch enjoying a nice night. And Paulette and Chili went to the cabin so I can pack for the uh, race that should be starting uh, as you're listening to this. Um, depending on the hurricane, uh, sounds like we're going to have some rain for the Shenandoah Tough race. Um, doesn't bother me that much because I can get dry and warm. But uh, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Um, what have I done since in the last two weeks? I don't try to, it's not two weeks on purpose, it's just working out that way right now. Um, quite honestly, it's kind of hard to um, hook up with people to chat with. Um, sometimes I wish, and once in a while it happens. You know what, if you're an adventure racer, like uh, send me a message and say, hey, I'll talk to you. So anyway, I think there'll be a few after... Uh, Almost said untamed, and uh, I think no Shenandoah tough. That's got to get used to that. But anyway, um, kind of the hardest part sometimes is uh, hooking up with people to chat with. So maybe I don't say that enough. But if you're an adventure racer, I'll bet you you got a cool story. Let me know. Anyway, we'll get maybe back on a little more regular schedule um, when I get back. I'm home for. A few weeks, and then get to go to Baja. Anyway, nice little chat with Jeff. Where we revealed the big news. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be at C to C as their uh, media god, whatever you want to call him. Be doing uh, my thing for the race. So, uh, just one more reason that you should go to uh, Florida at the end of February, like you need any other reasons so anyway here's uh my chat with jeff you know even though he's been really really busy he sounded better than i did hard to imagine anyway go fast take chances and i don't know take two raincoats with you to virginia so okay thanks for listening bye (laughs) i'm all ready to call you and i'm realizing i can't hear myself in the microphone my mic's not picking up so I did I went to this deep technical thing and I unplugged it and plugged it back in and now it's working. Nice. Yeah. That works out great. Yeah. <clears throat> so um I bet you've had a long week. Couple of I, couple of cons. <laughs> yeah, we were in Atlanta for five days for DragCon, which is the largest con in the southeast, and then uh then we had uh Ancient City Con, which is the Jacksonville con. And um yeah, so yeah, Hunter and I've been really busy. <clears throat> so, yeah, hardly had time to th- think about adventure racing, huh? No, I think about adventure racing all the time. So, <laughs> I have uh, I have three responsibilities now. So I'm constantly having to rotate back and forth between all of them. And uh, but adventure racing is is, is always definitely um, one of the things that I'm continuously thinking about. Either as a racer wanting to go to the next race or planning the next race. So there's just all kinds of different things going on. Yeah. So, well, I got an email from Mark today and let's just say I'm taking two rain jackets. Look, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just looks, sounds like there's going to be an adventure race in the middle of a hurricane. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. They've got uh, they got plans. We'll see how it goes. Uh, if you're listening to this, they'll we'll either because this will go out like Wednesday, so they'll either be um, started or we'll be drowned. Yeah. Well, hurricanes aren't that. We're used to hurricanes yeah. in Florida, so they don't bother it. You know, they're more of an inconvenience. They're like uh, so, you know, like a stepmother. <laughs> you know, they just come in and they're there for a short period of time. They're annoying. And then they leave, yeah. and they leave a mess behind. So that's kind of you know, yeah. And what I'm a, a hurricane is for us. 
Yeah. I'm assuming your uh, mother-in-law doesn't listen to the podcast. Oh, no, no. I love my mother-in-law. I'm talking about other people's mother-in-laws, yeah. not mine. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, it's all the other ones. So, And I've only heard of, you know, we've we've had in, I guess, you know, when we started Pangea, you know, years ago and then, you know, turned into Florida Extreme and out of 12 races a year times the 12 years we've been doing it here in Florida, there's only been, I think, only one race that was ever canceled because of a hurricane. And it wasn't because a hurricane was uh, coming. It was because it already went through and it destroyed the mm -hmm. park. And, I mean, there's trees down all over the trails. You would never be yeah. biking. You would just be hopping trees. And it was devastating. It was really sad to see the devastation that a hurricane does to some of the parks that we use for adventure racing. And, and um, so that was the only reason why um, a race was ever canceled. And then last year, I had the bear race up all the way up in Georgia. You think we're safe all the way up in Georgia. But uh, a tropical storm with 40, 50 mile an hour winds was coming straight up through Georgia. And here I am at midnight during my race, 24 hour race, the forest service came up to me and said, Hey, we're going to shut you down in two hours. Um, <laughs> we've got high winds coming and there's going to be no emergency services. Um, and you need to pull your racers. So that was, you know, mm -hmm. I stopped the race, but only one has ever been canceled because of that. Huh, it's interesting. So, yeah. well, I, we're on hurricane talk right now, but <clears throat> so I remember many, 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 well, a lot of years ago that I always heard that it was June too soon, July standby, August is a month, September, remember, and October all over. <clears throat> but it seems like hurricanes are later in the year now, or am I just imagining? Oh, no, definitely later in the year. Huh. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't... Uh... I, you know, I don't know how it, it works across there, but the El Ninos and El, El Ragros, whoever all the damn names they come up with, with warming of the seas and, and so forth. But it goes higher or lower based on years and decades and so forth. So, um, But it definitely, the waters don't warm up until later in the year, which then causes more you know, tropical storms and so forth to develop and come our way. Yeah. And um, the ones yeah. that are, the pains are the, the golf course. The Gulf Coast stuff and the Gulf, when they develop, they're just all over the place. You have no idea which direction they're going to go. They start in the Atlantic. They pretty much are coming straight at us, and they curve. Hmm. So we we got plenty of warning there. But the Gulf stuff is always uh, hits us by surprise, and you don't have time to prepare. But uh, uh, well, we just we just have tornadoes and forest fires. <laughs> Everybody Correct. has their own thing, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you guys have no warning. We have we got like weeks yeah. of warning before a hurricane. So don't feel sorry for us. You know, no. oh my gosh, the hurricanes. You know, yeah. we have plenty of warning, and I love them because I just go, oh, screw it. I'm just pack up. I'm going to go to Georgia for the weekend. Awesome. So there you go. You got it figured out. So yeah. um, okay, listen, listen to this, Mister Segway Man. Don't have well, any. Don't have any hurricanes in February, do you? I do not. I have no uh, – not that I've heard of. I've never heard of a hurricane, yeah. no. So not going to affect the C2C race. That is correct. It will not affect the C2C race. Uh, yeah. Nothing really affects the C2C race um, except for cold. And pretty much cold in Florida isn't really cold. So. Yeah. it's it's To the rest of the world, it's not cold. To you guys, no. yeah. I remember being in California and – Paulette and I are in t-shirts and shorts, and there's people wearing down jackets. It's like, <laughs> anyway. Um, all right, well, tell me all about C2C, your, your right. new race. It is. Um, it's going to be the 19th year that the C2C used to be the coast-to-coast -coast when Elias had it um, before. Obviously, Pangea took it over, Florida Extreme took it over, and now... Uh, AR Georgia is going to take it over now um, because we want to continue that race. It's one of the premier, um, you know, expedition races, um, and it's the largest that we have in Florida. We definitely wanted to keep it alive. Um, you know, I, I, you know, talked to 
uh, the Florida Extreme team, and they really, you know, wanted to to keep that race going, and uh, they really wanted to make it a, a great event. So, I had talked to them about uh, taking it over a while ago, and it just happened. So, um, you know, we're going to be grabbing that 19th annual race. We're going to make it amazing. Uh, we're going to do some. I've been racing in Florida most of my adventure racing life and uh, I have really been through some amazing areas in Florida and that's what we're going to highlight in this year's race. We're going to be going through Santos. There's no hiding the, the race route by the way. It's online um, on argeorgia.com C2C and you can see the race route. It's obviously not going to know where all the CPs are and we're going to throw some surprises in there but uh, I definitely want to take us through some of the most beautiful paddling rivers that are in Florida uh, and then um, the best mountain biking Um, if you're lucky to get 10, 20 miles of single track in a multi-day race Um, and because of the fact that there's really no point to point uh, mountain bike you know, parks in America. Most of them there are your, you know, one entrance and it's a loop around a bunch of loops and stuff and you come back and you, you come out the same way you went in. But Santos is made that it's 35 miles across um, starting in uh, Donellan, Florida and going all the way up to Ocala. So you've got a huge amount of single track that Hunter and I have been enjoying for years is the absolute best. You've got big drops, you've got big climbs, you've got quarries, you've got uh, wooden uh, features, you've got just all out, you know, fun single track. So that's going to be in this year's race. There's, you know, no doubt we're going to include that. Silver River, one -hmm. of the most famous rivers in Florida, definitely going to be paddling that um, downstream, which is kind of unusual for Florida, you're actually going to have a current. Um, <laughs> the Okawaha River, we've got Ocala National Forest, which is one of my favorite locations, obviously, because the Florida Trail goes through there. Um, and they're going to be heading up the coast and starting and finishing in beautiful St. Augustine. So um, can't do better than that, I don't think. Yeah. It um, sounds enjoyable. How much... How much of the race each year is new or how much gets reused you know um, I, I, I think uh, I think that it probably rotates about every four years you know we obviously we try to target central Florida um, mm-hmm. because that's where the majority of the what we call hills yeah. um, and the majority of the higher land that's the majority of where the uh, state parks are um, you, Ocala National Forest is obviously l- the largest outside of the Everglades, which we don't want to go through the Everglades. Um, uh, so it's the largest forest there. It's got lots of lots of um, features that are not found in the other sections of Florida. The northern stretch is kind of a difficult stretch, um, but it's in the plans for a future race to be completely up north. Um, and then, but anything south of Orlando is pretty much all the same terrain. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to technically race all the same terrain the entire three days. Yeah. So the middle of the state gives you so many more options. And so that's typically where we try to race. Um, and, you know, going over the same ground is okay as long as the CPs are in completely different locations. And yeah, I take you to different features each time. It's still going to be challenging just to get your team across the state of Florida. Yeah. And if you've never been there, you haven't ever oh, yeah. been there. <laughs> oh, who hasn't been to Florida? No, out well, racing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> racing Florida. And, and don't take it lightly. Uh, you know, no. don't take it lightly. Swamps and uh, sugar sand and, you know, the features. Don't you think that you can just, oh, it's no big deal. I can. There's no mountains there. Uh, you know, it won't be tough. You're completely wrong. I've had some of the top teams in this country come down here, and they look like death at the end of the race. And I'm like, you know, what happened? Did you did you underestimate Florida? Uh huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Don't 
take it lightly. What, um, so is it just a combination of everything that makes it tough? You know, well, is it going to be hot? Um, you know, is it mentally tough with the navigation? Because I know I had this conversation with Ron, and it's just, you know, you're not using mountains to navigate. you got to use a lot of other tricks. So what, what does wear people out the most? I, I think the, uh, the, the, w- w- the weather is just absolutely gorgeous. You're going to get, no matter what happens, you're probably going to end up getting, you know, 60, 70, 80 degree temps in the, in the afternoons. And they're going to be some cold or cooler nights. And so my advice to any racers that come down to Florida, obviously, you know, move as quickly as you can at night. That's the best, that's the best time to really gain on a lot of teams. But the underestimating um, the terrain in Florida, it, when, you, when you look at a mountain course, and I'm, I'm looking at maps, and I'm like, oh, it's a reentrant, it's a knob, it's the top of a mountain. Those are pretty straightforward um, navigation. You, because as long as you're right in the right, you're in the right reentrant, that's a little difficult to say. Um, and you just keep climbing, you're going to make it to the top of the mountain, and it's at the peak. That's not really a difficult one. But it's tough to get up there, but the navigation's simple. Yeah. In Florida, terrain changes from wetlands to swamp to pine forest to oak forest to scrub oaks to palmetto. Um, you know, you, you've got a bunch of different terrain. And I think for the navigator, it's more challenging in Florida than it is in a mountain mountainous area. Yeah. Um, and I love checkpoints. I, I hate going hours and hours and hours without f- having any checkpoints defined. Um, that that to me just basically is a is a triathlon. You're just you know it's an Xterra. Just go from this point to that point, and that's it. There's no navigation to try to find a checkpoint. So my theme for this year is that it's there's going to be 72 checkpoints. There's 72 hours of racing. There's 72 checkpoints. <laughs> So with each hour, at least, you're going to be finding, you're going to have to be looking for a checkpoint. And that keeps the team awake, that keeps them looking, that keeps the navigator engaged. Um, so there's there's the challenge is, is that, I believe. Uh, yeah, I, I actually kind of like that thought of, yeah, get, you can't get one an hour or you're screwed. Yeah, yeah <clears throat> you're pretty much, you know, you know that's, the, that's the idea is that, you know, I'm known for sort of having a lot of checkpoints in my races, you know, and no one's ever complained. Oh, you know, gosh, you had 40 checkpoints and made our race. You know, oh, okay, well, they've never complained. Yeah. They actually, you know, they, they go out and get as many as possible um, in that time frame. And in most of my races, you are going to get your money's worth. If, if it's a 72-hour race, you're going to be out there for 72 hours. The lead teams are going to be out there trying to get as many of those 72 checkpoints as they can and get to the finish. And the other uh, back-of-the-pack teams are going to be spending that 72 hours just working their way slowly to the finish. Um, I'm not going to have a team finish in 35 hours. Okay. You know, it's not going to happen. You're going to get your money's worth. There's no – just because you're super fast and you're super athletic and you're some of the top teams, you're still going to be out there for a while. So, are do you is the race set up then that every checkpoint is mandatory, but you can skip what you want, what you what you need to to make it to get through? Never, I never have any mandatory checkpoints okay. in in my races. Um, it will it will be mandatory to uh, to uh, appear at a TA yeah. to check in for a couple of different reasons. For one, if you have to change disciplines, you not you have to go to that TA. Um, or it's for safety reasons. I know that you have passed through that TA and you're gone, but that's the best route to get to the finish line anyways. But all the checkpoints are optional. Okay. You can start yeah. on the West Coast, get the first one, and go straight to St. Augustine and finish. You've yeah. completed the race. You've accomplished the goal. Um, you're ranked with all the other people that got one checkpoint. Interesting. Huh. kind of... It, it, it's kind of simple to explain it that way, then, isn't it? It's not. Uh, you got the yeah. You got this one. Then well, you I, get the yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, one of the things I one of the things I 
was discouraging when I first started venture racing because I was one of the DNF teams. Is 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 that you go to a race and half the teams were DNF. You know, they didn't finish and they disqualified you because you didn't get all the mandatory checkpoints. Yeah. And uh, you, you know, but we still did the entire race. I was still out there for 24 hours or whatever it was. And um, but my team, along with 12 other teams, were DNF. And it's kind of was, gosh, really? Um, you know, it's kind of the thing that, and I think it's changed our sport in a while. You know, over time is is uh, that has actually changed. More and more race directors are implementing the non-mandatory, everything's optional, more of a Rogaine format, which is what I love. Yeah. Because that allows new teams to come out and just enjoy themselves and stay at their pace and not feel like they have to crush, you know, every single checkpoint and get to every single cutoff or, or, or uh, mandatory and get to the finish. And it also allows the lead teams to just go and go out and really be competitive. And you really don't know who's in first or second or third or fourth or until the end mm-hmm. because you have no idea. Yeah, I, I see that. So, but I think you should make people should make sure to know that even when you say it's a row gain format, it's still linear because you're not making a yes. big loop. You're making a straight line. So. It is. There's going to be, there's going to be some cutoffs, but um, those cutoffs are going to be pretty. Uh, I would say relaxed okay. in the fact that they're going to be there for as a guideline. Uh, I really liked Mark Harrison Adventure Enablers. Um, uh, they've 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 kind of given you that you know here's a window. This is going to take eight hours or fifteen hours. Um, also, too, the Untamed New England has sort of done the same thing. This first section should take the lead teams eight, and the, the worst-case scenario is it'll take you 15. If you're at that 15 mark or more, then you might not be able to make the next cutoff, so you need to kind of guide yourself through that. Yeah. Giving, giving more information at the beginning of the race has become a popular thing amongst race promoters. And it never was when I first started racing. I didn't know what the heck I was going to get involved in. But Enablers, Untamed New England, you know, and some of the other uh, race promoters will give you more information up front so that the racers can plan their team strategy. Yeah. Do you think that's takes a little bit away? I'm sure some old school people are like, well, I know there are. If you're not plotting maps, you're not really adventure racing. But yes, but I I, I do think it does. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think it does in a sense that you know you can take a little bit away from it because the race is still going to be challenging. Yeah. You're not taking away the the fact that you've got to find those checkpoints and you've got to figure out how fast your team is on the bike or the paddle or the trek or if somebody gets sick and you lose two hours how do I make that up um, you know somebody's got a problem with their bike you just you can't I can't take that away from from the race and there's so much of that in the race that I think that makes up for maybe giving you a little information in the beginning yeah I don't hear a lot of racers complaining that it, their gear bins have to be at the truck at nine o'clock at night, and you're not getting your maps till six o'clock in the morning. Go sleep. Right. So, um, when you took over the race, was there something that from your racing days that you said, either this is this is something I really really like, or this is something that I've always wanted to change? <laughs> you know. Gosh, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of racers talk about oh if I if I if I ran this race it would be completely different you know I would I would do this or or this is what I would change and in the end you know I I want to see I would like to see this sport grow no one wants to go to a sixteen race and be the only people out in the woods for hours and never see anybody. The camaraderie between all the teams and having, you know, seeing another team out there and, and the competitive nature 
is so much more positive than a super challenging, no information up front, no, you know, a really tough area to, to, um, to put checkpoints. None of that really applies. It, it applies to getting more teams into our sport. And I sort of kind of developed a formula or a format that seems to be successful for me at this point because the attendance keeps growing from my races. And I'm going to stay at that format. Unless somebody tells me I'm doing something wrong, I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to, I'm going to give great features. I'm not going to make it too hard. I'm not going to make it too easy. I'm not going to you know, change my format until I see reasons to do so. Um, when it comes to the C2C, I've done it um, six times. And, uh, you know, all my friends like Ron Eglin and so forth have done it many, many, many times in many different ways they have done it. And I'm kind of grabbing the best features, the most fun elements of all these races and putting it into this year's race. Uh, what, um, for a race like C2C, you know, 72-hour, you know, three-and-a-half-day race, what's what's the What's the best number of teams? Because you could have too many. Correct. I mean, you you, you can't have you can't have too many in in the sense that now it's 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 unmanageable. Yeah. But um, I I want thirty. I, it, that's the the original year that um you know when Pangea had uh, was right right there at the end. We were getting big attendance numbers. We had you know, 27, 28, 30 teams. And that was a great number. That was really easy to manage. Um, and um, you you weren't alone out there. Yeah. You, you really had a lot of teams because, uh, you know, that that variety of, of uh, teams from really super fast teams to the back of the pack teams. But um, it's all in the design. I'm designing this course to try to keep my snake, is what I call it, Together, I don't want them all spread out. I want them coiled up and and moving slowly across the state. I don't want the end of the snake way far away from the head yeah. of the snake. I want to keep it as tight as possible, so that again you come into an area and you you've got other teams there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um. It it this is kind of funny and it may not really matter, but I think you need that. Um, you know. 20, 25, 30 teams to get people interested. And I'm saying that because I've been watching what's happening at Primal Quest, and nobody cares. Nobody's watching. Um, they're just like, there's there's not enough teams. We're not seeing anything. So, I mean, you just, you know, not that the dot watchers yeah. are the most important, but it's, it's a very interesting, uh, you know, following the what's going on on Attack Point and stuff. And and serious, serious people that love watching and commenting are like, eh, I'm looking, but just kind of out of habit. So Right. And just and when it, you're there. Yeah, if you're at the race, it's like you want it to be a, a happening, I think. Yes. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And and that's why we've got you coming um, to the uh, to the race and handle all of that media for us and handle all. Yeah. handle all that in the <laughs> sense that <laughs> I, I I want it to be something that I, I don't think it'll ever become a spectator sport no. just, it's almost impossible to 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 do that um, however I have seen spectating increased as in family and friends have come out because race directors a little bit more open about the race once it starts you know like mm-hmm. and they've always worried about how oh, the, the families are going to help you know, or bring pizza to the, you know, to the TA or, you know, help their friends and family out while they're doing the race. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that happens at all. But now race traders have been more open about sharing the information about where the race is going, where the TAs are. And you come into a TA and there's family there. And uh, there's other people that are coming in to see what's going on. But that's really cool. And the social media side helps. It yeah. gets the word out that it's happening and it's going on and um, definitely I want it's definitely going to be 30 teams I've already kind of sort of predicted it in the sense that 
there were 20, 20 teams, 22 teams last year. So um, the the increase of, you know, it's just a miserable winter up north. What are you mm-hmm. doing up there? Yeah. You, you know, get off that treadmill <laughs> and come down to Florida and have a great time doing a three-day race, which is, there's no reason why this race can't end up being 60 teams. Yeah. And that's my goal. There's no reason why it can't be because there's no other expedition race this time of the year in the U.S. in warmer temperatures or, you know, you know where you're not going to have to deal with, you know, ice and snow and all that other stuff. Yeah. You're going to have to go to another country to get that big a race. This should be, you know, the best race in, in the summer, in the you know, winter for, uh, for adventure racing. So... Okay, uh, we know the race is hard, but it's not climbing the Rocky Mountains hard. It's just hard in a different way. Do you think that that makes it a little more accessible for people, us us people up here in the snow that maybe can't get out and do quite as much training? That uh, you know they're still going to have to be on their mental game, but maybe if their physical game is just you know ten percent down, they'll they won't be too miserable. Right, exactly. It's a great. I think it's a great starting. We've got we've got two races that are in the winter that are have substantial length, and so you've got the Cauldron, which is the month before. So mm-hmm. you've got the Cauldron race, which is in North Florida. That's a thirty-six hour, and that really draws a lot of the teams that are new to an expedition race that are going to come and use the cauldron as a training race. If I can handle 36 hours, well, then I can, you know, I, I get a feel for what's going to happen when I go do the C to C, you know, a month and a half later. Um, so I think that, that um, I kind of lost track of what I was, what were you, what was the question again? The people, us people up here north that are slacking oh. off, you know, old guys who get fat in the winter can still come down and have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because yeah. I think that uh, I think that you're, you know, that January one hits, you're back into training mode, yeah. and you're you're back into getting, you know, out there and and and, uh, and training for what's coming up in the spring. And so this race is lined up for uh, basically to get you jump started. Because once you're done with this, then you're heading into March. So the warmer temps start to creep up north, and you're not very far away from starting your spring races. So Yeah. See, I've always thought that that end of February, first part of March, is the perfect time when you're up north to go because it's still winter, but when you come back, it's really kind of spring. I mean, I never understood yeah. people that go on a – go to Hawaii January because you come back and you still got six weeks of winter and it's like well that would just suck (laughs) it's a shocker Um, are you finding people from your you know eight hours shorter races are uh, inclined to move up if not this year you know eventually you know when when what got me hooked on adventure racing obviously was watching eco challenge yeah so i watched eco challenge and that's the extreme and obviously said i want to do that one day but i didn't go out and sign up for eco challenge right away obviously you know i was like all right what what kind of adventure races are around you know i started with the six i started with the three i started with an eight you know I, i worked my way up so i think that everybody that that comes into our our sport and ultimately has a goal to do an expedition race one day. That's their ultimate goal. Um, would I say that the easiest adventure race to maybe start or expedition race to start with would be the C to C? It was the easiest for me because I lived here in Florida and I kind of knew the terrain and I knew that it would be a large amount of miles in a short period of time. 72 hours to get across the state of Florida is not a lot of time because you're covering 300 something miles. Um, it's not straight across. You, it's a, there's, there's some play in there. So um, it's not as easy as it sounds that you do have to cover a lot. My number one tip for anybody doing a C2C, you better get used to biking. 
biking is the fastest way to get across the state. Yeah. And a lot of teams underestimate the length of biking that's involved in getting across the state of Florida and very little road biking. Most of it is off-road, swampy, maybe muddy, maybe sandy, you know, not smooth riding, you know, terrain. So, um, yeah, don't underestimate it. So, well, but, like percentage-wise, time-wise, how do you think it'll break out roughly? Because we know you're going to cover well, more miles on the bike, but but like time-wise, time-wise, I haven't got I, that I'd far say yet. That, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, in, in in from my experience from doing the races, it's about sixty percent of the time you're on the bike. Okay, you know, you're you're getting a lot of miles in on the bike um, because unlike let's say let's say we uh, we stopped at a lake and and on on your you still there? I'm here. Oh, okay, so somebody was texting me there. Let's say you came in and you you had a lake paddle. Well, you just go to lake, you know, loop around that lake, and you come back and you're back out on your bike again. That's not what's happening in the C to C. You're we're talking about rivers that run, you know, west to east, and you're traveling slower, obviously in that discipline, and to make up that time that you're traveling slowly. We have to get you back on the bikes, and we have to move you quickly through the next section with bikes. So you have to make up that time that we obviously don't want you out you know, for four days. We want you only out there for three days. So mm-hmm. the biking is definitely the key, and I'd say that the majority of this race is, is biking. Okay. So um, I think we're going to start a new segment right here. Never done this okay. on the podcast. St- stupid questions that Legendary asks. Oh, okay. Sure. So I have, I have a stupid question, but not totally. Is there a divide in Florida where rivers run to the Atlantic and between the Atlantic and on the other side they go to the Gulf? Well, the Swanee comes down from Georgia mm-hmm. and cuts. It goes. It flows east, or no, it flows west. Yeah. So. You got that system that goes out that way. You got the Okawaha, which is the biggest west to east river. And then the St. John's River flows from the north or flows from the south up to the north. So um, but there's so many spring-fed rivers in Florida that go west to east. And typically when we're doing an e- a west to east race, we pick up those Okay. You know, yeah. so yeah, there's. I would, you know, um, Rob Price is like a paddling champion. He knows rivers in Florida better than anybody, and he's sort of always pinpointed the best paddling in Florida, and that's what we're going to pick up on. Yeah, I was just yeah, just curious. So basically, there's different sort of basins that, yeah, but but there's not a continental divide in Florida for rivers. No. Yeah. No, nothing. None of them connect. Yeah. Well, let's see. I learned something by asking <laughs> a stupid question. <laughs> yeah. No, that wasn't a stupid question. That's just you know. But you probably ask Google that. I'm not the best answer for that. But uh, yeah. But Google's easy. So <laughs> I always I always get these things from people. They're like, "How did you find?" You know, they they have a question, and I you know send them an answer, and how do you know that? And I'm like, Google. <laughs> yeah. Google yeah. it. Yeah, two things people should learn about the internet. You got a question, Google, and when you think Facebook has changed your algorithm, go to Snopes and find out it's false. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, do you just a couple more maybe here about C to C because I want to talk to you a little bit about about Untamed. But um, do you think you guys are going to get a bump because we're losing a lot of races next year? Yeah, you know, I, I, you, I hate the fact that we're losing yeah. races, um, especially really good ones, and um, I just, I, I just hate the fact that our industry is, is or our sport, not industry. I'm sorry, I'm too businesslike, but <laughs> uh, it's always up and down. You know, I, I want to see success across the board because 
again, success leads to more teams, more racers, you know, more new teams. I have, I have since I've started AR Georgia, um, I really try to bring new people into this sport, and I found myself being a coach and a and a captain to a lot of these newer teams. And Ron Eglin has done a great job of really recruiting new racers into the sport. I mean, he's physically talks to them, convinces them, and he races with them as a live coach during the race. It's, it's amazing what he's doing to be able to bring that in there. And I found myself more and more coaching where I never was able to get that information before. It seemed like the race directors or promoters were just too busy doing you know, what they were doing to get the race direct together and not being able to stop and say, oh, you need help. You, you need to understand what this race is about. And I'm developing more and more like simple questions that I'm putting on our website for new teams. And I hate the fact that our, our industry is shutting down certain races um, because of you know reasons, time and money and all those other things. But yeah, we're gonna get a bump, um, and uh, you know, I it's I it's a it's a tough situation for me because as one, I mean, I'm not in the the business to make tons and tons of money. Nobody's gonna make tons and tons yeah. of money in adventure racing, but I want to make enough money to be able to have really really good races. And to be relaxed and never really have to worry about the money side of it, I just want to worry about, you know, how am I going to make everybody happy? Yeah. So that kind of made me think of this question is how much in adventure racing for you is business and how much is just the passion of it? Oh. Well, I'd say 75% of it is is the passion. I mean, you still there's still a lot of work. There's still a lot of time that I we just don't get paid for. I mean, yeah. you're just never going to recoup that cost. And again, in, in 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 a lot of my races, I don't rely on volunteers. I I have staff, so I have a little bit more overhead. I've had some people say, oh. You know, some of your races are really expensive. You know, you're like double what everybody else is, and and uh, you know, I'm like, but I believe that I offer more. Yeah. And I'm offering. You'll never have to worry about something because all of my staff is paid. They're paid to be there. They have passion for what they do, as well as they don't have to worry about money um, mm-hmm. during this during my races, and 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 uh, everything is where it should be. Everything's up front. You know what's going on. I give prize, food, water, drink. You know everything is the same at every single one of my races. Is that that support is always going to be there for you. So um, you know, I hopefully that formula continues to work. Oh, well, I mean, it sounds like it is. It is. So why? Yeah. There's no reason why it shouldn't continue for a while longer. Yeah. So. Um. Tell Untamed New England. Tell me about it. I got to see you for forty-five minutes in the middle of the race. <laughs> yeah, you did. That was that was a. That's always a good time when you're when you're only had about maybe sixty minutes of sleep in three days, and and you come across a smiling, happy, you know, familiar face. You know, you're kind of like the Santa Claus of adventure <laughs> racing. You make everybody happy. When they see you, oh, oh there's Frandy. Yeah, we're not going to die. We're, <laughs> we're not going to die. Oh, he's. We know he's close. His car's got to be somewhere around here. We're in the right. We're in the right area. <laughs> um, yeah, unless your team bones at Tahoe. Remember, see, I, yeah. they, you always got to remember that, that. You never know. I could be lost too. <laughs> that would so, not be a good scenario. No. So, but you guys had just had a hard. Hard uh, checkpoint right there, right? When I run onto you, it spent a little while yeah, looking for that one. Yeah, again, you know, I was, um, I was, uh, as the navigator, I kind of, I uh, kind of lose my. That was a beautiful location, by the mm-hmm. way. And um, we had gotten no rain. Obviously, we were getting warm again. The sun was out. We were enjoying ourselves, 
And I'm, I'm looking around at the different scenery and stuff like that, and I kind of just walked right past the trail I was supposed to turn on. Yeah. And it happens. And uh, um, we kind of got, you know, kind of caught up there. But we were fighting the cutoffs the entire time. We, we consider ourselves a middle-of-the-pack team, and the middle-of-the-pack team struggles right on that line of getting cut off. So the back-of-the-pack teams get cut off, and they get short-coursed. You know, the elite teams are way ahead of us. Yeah. We're always floating that line of really struggling to get the cutoffs. And we had just made that last cutoff just before we got to you by three minutes. So we were kind of excited. The fact that we were exhausted because we pushed hard to get to that cutoff. And then when you saw us, that was right after that. Yeah. So we were just exhausted and discombobulated, couldn't find a checkpoint. Yeah. It's just, yeah, one of those things that. I don't. I was up there the day before, and I looked forever. And of course, I'm going to say I didn't have a racer map, so I don't think mine yeah. was quite as accurate. And I just, I looked and I looked and I looked, and I, and I never did find it. But I didn't have to. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> we found it. You it did. This was just a little off. Yeah. Yeah, I have the photographic proof that you found it. Oh yeah, that's right. That was. <laughs> we were kind of wandering around in that spot, weren't we? Yeah. Or, for a while, and uh, but well, I'm going to I'm going to take credit because I think you found it about five minutes after I I showed up. So <laughs> that is you were the good luck charm. There you go. Do you um is that fun racing when you're push running the cutoffs like that? Is it, you kind of consider each one of those like a little victory? Yeah, absolutely. It definitely you know it definitely was uh, a victory in this sense that. Remember from the video that we did with you, um, we had we had forgotten our main maps yep. in the bin, not knowing that we thought the bins were going to be at that particular spot when we started that bike leg. And so we realize now that we don't have the maps for the next section. So we had to partner up with another team, and it just so happens to be that team was a short course team that wasn't quite got their act together. And I'm so now I'm at the mercy of another navigator navigating us through that next bike leg. Yeah. Um, and um, after he had made a mistake, and I kind of helped him with the mistake, and and um, uh, kind of kind of we got really just caught up. We got into a trap. We were in a parallel reentrant on the wrong mountain. So. Um, we got caught up all in there, just running around in circles trying to find this checkpoint. We were basically one reentrant off by a full K. Um, and I realized it late in the game because he finally let me look at the maps and kind of analyze where we were. And then he handed the maps over to me. Yeah. And from that point, we just jammed it from that point really, really hard to make the next cutoff because we had gotten, you know, a two hour delay there. And, and uh, um, it's frustrating. But. To be able to push for a cutoff is exhilarating. It's exciting, and it keeps you alive. It keeps us from sleeping, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it keeps us awake. It keeps us excited. So it is. It's kind of neat to do that. So, so what was, what did, what did you, uh, when somebody says untamed New England, what's the one thing, the first thing you tell them about? Oh, just a professional um, organization. Uh, I, they just do such an amazing job of being on point on yeah. everything that they do, and and keeping this. They keep more secrets than anybody else. They get they do four years of planning, yeah. um, and they they put on one race every four years for the four day race, and then of course they they hide a lot of information. So that's kind of exciting, um, but there's not a lot of newbie teams there. Most of the teams there are experienced teams. Yeah. They know what they're getting into. Um, being able to find out right there just before the race that it was a linear race, it was a point-to-point -point because four years ago it was you know, it was a big loop, mm -hmm. and you come right back to the same spot. To, yeah. to know we were going back south, back to where we started, was awesome. I think that was a, uh, a great move on their half. And uh, one of the premier races, I would never – if you'd make Untamed New England, I would always plan to try to be an Untamed New England. Yeah, they just do such a great job. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think we need to blow smoke up <laughs> Grant, but because I think he all knows how much we like it. But 
he does a hell of a job. I think he's a good role model for kids growing up. Absolutely. What um, what would what would it mean to you if in uh, ten years somebody said, "God, that Jeff don't want to blow smoke up him, but boy, he does a hell of a good job." Oh, I don't want ten years. I want like this year. They say that. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Technically, next year. You know, I. It, that's what. That's what anything. That's what keeps anyone going. Yeah. Is an applause. I mean, if you went out on stage and you were a comedian and and you and you did your thing and and you were over and no one clapped, you'd feel kind of shitty. You'd feel kind of I I just didn't do a good job. And but if you went out there and you got a standing ovation or applause or something, that's okay. All right, I got it. I got it. I'm doing good. And so, getting feedback from racers. Um, and trust me, racers will tell you when 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 I first started race directing when I was under Greg Owens at Pangea, and I made mistakes. I mean, I I I didn't plot something correctly. I put a checkpoint in the wrong spot. I mean, racers have no problem coming up to me and going, "Hey, that point was not in the right spot," or "You didn't get my bin here in time," and I didn't have my supplies. They will tell you. And it stuck with me through these years. And so starting my own company and doing my own races, I remember those things. Mm -hmm. I remember those comments. And I strive to not make those mistakes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, – okay, here's another question. I don't know if you have an answer. Checkpoints don't seem to be in the wrong place very often anymore. They used to be fairly common. Boy, when's the last time you know we're at a race or heard of a race where a checkpoint was off? Are you guys just getting that much better? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> technology is 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 so much so much better now in the sense that I I triple check everything. For one, I've got a paper map when I'm out there of the area, um, and all of the online. Topo map softwares are getting updated. They used to be 20 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, the Forest Service hadn't updated a map in 20 or 30 years, and and that was really difficult for race directors because there were trails out there that didn't exist anymore, and there was new trails that weren't even on the map. Or the terrain has changed. Terrain changes. You yeah. know, this is the earth, and it's and, you know it changes. Um, so if the maps have gotten a lot better. So I'm out there with a physical map. I'm out there with a GPS device. Yeah. And I'm out there with my phone with GPS software on my phone or an app. So I'm triple checking the fact that I am at that trail intersection and I'm marking it. And when I come back to set the course, I'm rechecking it again to know that I'm in the right spot. Yeah. Well, that so, yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good growth in the sport. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very frustrating. It's still um, one of the things that I talk to a lot of race directors about is you need to invest in chains, cables, and locks because yeah. people will steal your flags no matter how remote you think. Oh, I'm going to hide this in here. No one's going to even know it's there. No. They will find it. There's going to be some hunter that's got to walk over to a tree and go take a piss, and he's going to run right into your flag. Yeah. And he's going to take it down because that's his favorite hunting area, and he doesn't want a bunch of teams running through there and tearing up his, his area where he hunts. So I have been to races where checkpoints are missing, and I'm yeah. like, did you guys cable that? Oh, no, we just tied it to the tree. Well, you know, cable it. Yeah. It'll, so, that'll, that'll slow down the honest people. Correct. They may rip it apart, but that flag and that cable will still be there torn up. Yeah. Um, so you'll know you're at least in the right spot, but they won't be able to take it away. Yeah. Good yeah. Good tip for all you little uh, budding race directors. Um, yeah. All right. So we're, let's wrap this up because you've had a long couple of weeks. But do you um, personally, what do you got? Anything on your horizon for next year, race-wise? 
Well, next well, next year is obviously I just took on the C to C. We're going to still continue with the growth of uh, our April race at Fort Yargo, which is the uh, Adventure Challenge. And, of course, that's the race where you're able to use GPS devices um, to navigate the course. And that is going to grow again this year because we I've already got people wanting to sign up for that. And I haven't even started registration yet, but they're so excited. They're new to the sport. They want to hurry up and, you know, like register for that race in April. So that is really what we're going to push. We're going to push. That's our starter race that allow you to move up to any of our eight-hour races um, for 2019. Um, once I get my move, so we're going to be moved up into Canton sometime in March. Um, so we've got a big move of um, both my companies up to uh, Georgia. Once we get embedded into Georgia, then I'm going to open up the door for at least two more races. Um, so that would be two in Florida and probably six in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, but are you going to get to race any? Uh, no, you know, I'm kind of like pass the baton off to Hunter. I'm going to just let Hunter go do all the racing, and and I'm kind of just going to hang out with Mark Harris and drink beer. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure Mark is just going to be slacking off. <laughs> okay, final question. Sure. What, what's, what was the most... Um, common costume at, at uh, Dragon Con? Oh, the most common costume at DragonCon was probably Deadpool. Okay. Deadpool, there was there was a hundred Deadpools. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool character, relatively easy costume, right? You don't have yeah. to... You just got to get a red suit and put on. And Yeah, but some of the guys... There shouldn't be Deadpool. It's kind of like Deadpool's ten years later yeah. when he's sitting on his couch and eating ice cream. Yeah. It was some of them are <laughs> some of them were really funny. <laughs> so cool. Well, all right, I'm gonna let you go, and because you know why, I leave at six a.m. Tuesday morning, and I sort of started packing, but I got to get that done tonight because <laughs> the yeah. dog's gone. I can't pack when Chili's around because she gets all freaked out. So. Well, you know, that's the, that's the same way with my cat. My yeah. cat knows when she sees that suitcase, she gets upset. Yep. Yeah. So Paulette took uh, Chili up to up to my mom's cabin, and I can pack, and she won't worry. So. Well, we're excited you're going to come down um, in uh, February for the C2C and, and uh, handle photography and media and, and do the things that you do that make um, the C2C a little bit better this year. Well, I hope I can... Uh, I'm going to say I'm worth like 3.7 teams, so. I like it. Yeah, it'll work. So. Cool. All right. Thanks for the chat. All right. Thanks, Randy. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye.
Yeah.